receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. And as a result of you receiving that power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. The word of the day, do not forget it. You're going to finish my sentences before the end of this preach. You will be my witnesses. Again, Revelation 11, verse 3. Now, this is a complicated passage of Scripture. Revelation itself is complicated. Revelation 11 is, is that much more complicated. That said, get in it, read it. It's full of symbolism pointing to Jesus and his church. And it's incredible. We're going to look at this one verse, though, today. It says, I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Revelation tells us, Revelation of Jesus, as written by John, tells us that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is the witness of Jesus. And so when we hear they will prophesy, it's nothing more than they will testify of Jesus. They'll bring witness to who the risen Savior is. So these two witnesses, they will prophesy of Jesus. They will wear sackcloth. They're going to do it for three and a half years. Many people ask whether or not this is literal, like these two witnesses. They're two people, whether they're historical or their future or their present. And I don't think anybody literally knows who these literal people are. But the beautiful thing about Revelation, it is full of symbolism and metaphor and there's some people who have gone before us who have done some incredible scholarship. And I'm convinced in their scholarship that this is symbolism. That these two witnesses are not two people, whether past, present, or future. That these two witnesses are the church. So it says this, I will appoint my two witnesses, that being the church, and they will prophesy. They will give the testimony of Jesus. For 1260 days, which again is another symbol. It's not a literal 1260 days, it's three and a half years, which is half of seven, which we know is a profound number within scripture. And this points right back to the prophecies of Daniel and so many other places in scripture. And they will do so, the church will prophesy about Jesus clothed in sackcloth. Wow, okay. Let's, let's dig in. Well, sackcloth is a symbol also of repentance. This church will testify of Jesus clothed in repentance. It's not just an expression of their lips like the doom and gloom pastors and preachers that we've all heard that you must repent. No, they're wearing sackcloth, which means it wasn't just an expression of their lips. It was an expression of their lives that they embodied everything they spoke about. The testimony of Jesus was characterized by repentance. It's not old covenant stuff we're talking about here. This is post-resurrected Jesus stuff we're talking about here. 
This is talking about the witness of the church. The two witnesses will testify of Jesus clothed in repentance. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. What does it say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You church, you, me, us, will receive power by the Holy Spirit. To what end? To feel good. To get the shivers. To speak in unknown languages. Well, that all stuff, that happens. But to what end? The testimony of Jesus. Thank you. I feel like I didn't have a plan when I was going to be finished with you, but now is an opportune time. Let's take it. Let's just rip the bandit off and make it happen. I didn't have a nice transition where he could get up and leave. Thank you. I love how Jesus prepares them and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you so that you can be my witnesses. This is not the first time that he sent them out to be witnesses of what he's done and what he said. To go into all the world, Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, casting out demons. Like it's, it's not the first time that he said this, but he said, wait, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes so that I can live in you by my spirit and empower that witness. You cannot merely be a witness because you know about him. You're familiar with who he was historically. You can only be a witness because you know him. You presently are aware of who he is and what he's doing, which is why we need him presently in us, which is why he sent the Holy Spirit. So that he's not just a historical figure that we look back to and say, this is who he was and this is what he did and this is his heart for humanity. We can look at what he's doing right here and be a witness of who he is now here in me, in you, in the church, through the word. The Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be empowered to be my witness. We cannot witness apart from the empowerment of the Spirit. Because not you and I who can do a good job convincing the world that Jesus is who he says he is. It's the Holy Spirit's job in and through us to convince the world he is who he said he is. One would be like a a museum guide on a tour, an expert of this ancient artifact or this ancient person saying, look, let me tell you about Jesus and who he is. Like, I'm an expert on who he was. Details about historical Jesus. But as a witness, as one described here in Revelation and in Acts, it isn't an expert on who someone was. It's an expert on who someone is. This is why he gave us the Holy Spirit, so that we can know him. Not just know about him through your Sunday school teacher or your parents so that you can know him 
and you can witness from the place of knowing him. And Paul, he prays for us, for you and I, that we would know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. Amen. Scripture also says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. The near, now, present, active, living, breathing Christ in us is the hope for humanity. Not historical Jesus, so that that's true. He was and he is and he is to come. But guess what? He is and he is in you. And that's the only place that witness can come from. So our witness of him isn't something we've just heard about. The pastor told you about or a Sunday school gave to you, or a billboard tells you about. It's because we're presently knowing him by this power of the spirit that is filling us. Capiche? Got it? All right. Can I not ask for feedback? John 5. Jesus' words in John 5. We're going to crack this open today. Jesus in John 5 speaks about his own authority. But he says, I can't be a witness to my own authority. And so there was witnesses that spoke about my authority. Listen to what he says, John 5 verse 30. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Love this about Jesus. But he goes on to say, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Verse 33, you sent to John, John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I received is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Are you catching a theme here? His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. And then 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Praise God that we have the words of Jesus. Literally Jesus speaking right off the page to us. And so in his passage here, he talks about four witnesses. The first one's John the Baptist. I believe that there's a model for us in John the Baptist that we're going to look at in a little bit. The second one, he says, are the works that I am doing. These works, these miraculous signs and wonders 
testify that I am who I say I am. They're a witness about the truth of who I am. He also says the Father himself, his voice, is a witness about me. Hebrews chapter 12, it says something, again, new covenant, powerful about the voice of God. And I believe we've been in this. In fact, I've preached this ad nauseum for the past two years. Hebrews 12, 25, it says this, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. The Father's voice. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the words once more indicate that the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, praise God that when his voice shakes everything, that stuff that can be shaken is revealed. So that which cannot be shaken, his kingdom is also revealed. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and in awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we have John as a witness. We have these works, these signs, these wonders, these miracles as a witness of Jesus. We have the Father's voice as a witness of Jesus. And if you don't think the shaking in the last two years is a witness, God's voice shaking the earth, revealing Jesus and his kingdom. There's a witness amongst us right now on planet earth. He's showing us everything that is not of his kingdom so that his kingdom can be revealed. And the fourth one, the scriptures. John 5 again, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life but it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. And I believe that we're seeing these witnesses of Jesus in the world. We're seeing God's voice shake, God's voice speak about who his son is. We're seeing miracles, signs, and wonders witnessing about who Jesus is. I believe that we're seeing and will see a revival of the word of God as a witness about who he is. Not just good study and scholarship, though, although that's so important, but the witness of Jesus in these words by the Holy Spirit. Like, where is Jesus in this book? And what is he saying? The four witnesses. And then we have in Acts 1, a fifth witness, the church. You will be my witness, empowered by the Spirit. And I believe that the church is called to embody all four of these witnesses. The testimony of John, miracle signs and wonders. If you don't believe that, you don't got to look very far in here to be convinced. The voice of the Father, is the church not called to embody the voice of the Father? Is the church not called to proclaim his word? The church is called to embody all of these witnesses that went before Jesus. 
so that through these things, the Holy Spirit can again point to Jesus. And I believe, here's the crux of my message today, that God is reviving the witness of his church. You want to be convinced before you get excited. God is reviving in this day and age the witness of his church. Now, if that doesn't excite you, I'm just going back to 11. The testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. So what about John's witness? Okay, signs, wonders, miracles, I understand. We see this stuff happen. How do we explain it? The only way to explain it is the love of the Father, the voice of the Father by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, that's, that hits different. If you said yes to Jesus being your Savior, you know the voice of your Father. Scriptures, unpacking these words, getting a rhema word. Wow, that was Jesus witnessing about himself through the scriptures. But what of the witness of John the Baptist? This one, this, this wilderness man, this forerunner. The scriptures say of him, and he testified of himself that he was one calling out in the wilderness, make way, prepare for the Lord's coming. This was the witness of John. John was called before his birth, to prepare a people for God. Even when he was in the womb of his mother and Jesus' mom, Mary, came around his mom, Elizabeth, he leaped within Elizabeth's womb, testifying that Mary was pregnant with the Son of God. Before he was born, he was testifying of who Jesus is. He was called to prepare a people for God, and he was also called to prepare a way for the Lord. He prepared the people for the Lord, and he prepared a way for the people to receive the Lord. It was simply this, John, his witness, he was a forerunner to prepare a people to receive Jesus. So we have these witnesses in the church, scripture, voice of the Father, miracles, signs, and wonders. We have this other witness that prepares people to receive the coming of Jesus. Look what it says in Luke 7. It says, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, they acknowledged that God's way was right. Why? Because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So John the Baptist, it says in Mark, he appeared in the wilderness, listen, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. This is, are we going too deep? Four people, okay. Does that not ring a bell? Revelation 11, verse three. 
my two witnesses clothed in sackcloth. This expression of repentance. There it is. That's John's witness in the church. The call to repentance. This word in the Greek is metanoia, which means a change of mind or a change of direction. That John prepared the way for Jesus and prepared a people for Jesus by proclaiming that they need to change their mind and their direction. Rejecting something old so they can make room to receive something new. This is John's message. This is his witness. John's followers received the message of Jesus because their hearts were soft and contrite because they received and accepted the message of repentance. They were readily able, this is so important, to reject the old, to make room for the new. The scriptures declare in Isaiah, behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Can you see it? Are you available? Could it be that John's witness was to help people perceive the new that was coming? And Jesus said it another way. New wine requires new wineskin. What I'm about to do doesn't fit in the old. So before you know what I'm going to do, I'm going to ruffle up your relationship with the old, and I'm going to send this man named John to do it. So with John, there was a preparation, and the preparation was repentance. They had to repent because they previously made it about something that it wasn't. You search the scriptures thinking that you'll find life in them. When I'm right in front of you, because of the way that you saw the scriptures before and your inability to let go of it, you can now not receive me because you're refusing the thing that you're looking for that's right in front of you. There's new paradigms of thinking that they were being invited into. And here's the beauty of repentance. It's not taking a whip and whipping yourself on the back and saying, woe is me, I screwed up. It's not that. Repentance postures your heart for whatever God wants to do next. Repentance is a preparation of heart. And with John's preparation came a training in the presence of God to recognize what the Spirit was on. John prepared people to receive God, but while he was simultaneously preparing people to receive God, he was being trained in God's presence to then recognize what the Spirit was on. The repentance didn't come before they knew what was next. I'm sorry, yes it did. The repentance didn't come when it was revealed what was happening. The repentance came before they knew what was coming next. It wasn't this exchange yet. The exchange happened later. There was a preparation for the exchange, a softness of heart, a contrition of spirit that allowed them to say, I don't want the old anymore, I want the new. 
So as soon as Jesus showed up, they said, that's what I've been waiting for. Look at what John says in verse 33 of John 1. He says, I myself did not know him. I didn't know who he was. But the one who sent me, God himself, who sent me to baptize with water, told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down on and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In other words, John didn't know for 30 years that it was going to be this man until the one who trained him in the wilderness showed him that his spirit, the one he recognized in the wilderness, was on Jesus. And the moment that he saw the spirit that he was trained in on Jesus, he declared, that's what's next. And then he goes on to say, I must decrease so that he can increase. Because God's not doing this anymore. He's doing that. And everybody that found themselves following John agreed with what he said. They received what the spirit was on. Because John prepared them in the presence of God to know what was coming next. But I'm afraid that today in the church, we haven't been trained on what is coming next. We haven't been trained in the presence of God to know what the Spirit is on. And because we can't recognize what the Spirit is on, we miss Jesus and what he's doing. And guess what? It compromises our witness. curveball. John 1 verse 29 says this, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They're doing their thing. John is baptizing. Tons of people are following him. And because he recognizes the Spirit and what the Spirit's doing, he stops everybody and draws their attention to Jesus and says, this is what the Spirit's on. Those who have ears, let them hear. And again in verse 35, it says this, the next day again, there was again two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. He recognized what the Spirit was saying yes to. And what the Spirit was saying yes to was Jesus. The witness of John was to grab everybody's attention and say, there's Jesus. This is the call. This is the witness to singularly declare, behold, the Lamb of God. This is what God is calling his church to. Not look at me, look at us, look at our empire, look at my intellect, look at my skill, my ability to break down the world. All of these things, no, it's behold, the Lamb of God. God is reviving his witness in the church. But he's doing so through repentance. It isn't what we thought it was. It's not about building our own empires and saying, look at our brands. 
No, no, no. That's going to come down, and it is coming down. It's saying, hey, enough about me. It's about him. Behold the Lamb of God. When he saw Jesus walk by, he said, wait a minute. That's the point. I love that you're all following me, but you're following me in preparation for following him. This is not about building a church, for goodness sakes. It's about a bunch of people who are distracted with what Jesus is doing. But it required John to be trained in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, wearing fur, wrapped up in a belt to recognize what Jesus was on. There's obscurity. It didn't look pretty. It wasn't all brandy and flashy. In fact, he was supposed to be named something different. Did you know that? He came from the lineage of Zacharias. Lineage of two priests, basically, two descendants of Levi, his mom and his dad. And they were getting pregnant. It was a miracle. Gabriel came, the angel, and said, you guys are going to get pregnant. Zacharias said, how can this be? My wife is old. The same story. We hear it again. And the angel shuts his mouth and says, you will no longer speak because you're doubting what God is doing. And his name will be John. And this will be fulfilled when he's born and he's named John. Then your mouth will be opened again. Because there was a purpose for John's life that could not and would not and shall not be compromised because of the old that was supposed to infect the new. He was supposed to be named Zechariah. Why? Because he was supposed to be named after his father. His father was a priest. He was supposed to be a priest. But God said, no, this man is John, and he's doing something new. And your lips will not infect what I'm doing next. And so he has a baby. His wife has a baby. They have a baby. The baby is born. They have not yet circumcised the baby. So there's a bunch of days, eight days, seven days in between. Eight, seven? Eight days, there you go. Eight days that he's been born and his mouth is still shut. And then as soon as there was a little controversy about what he would be named, because they didn't listen to Elizabeth, they went to go talk to Zachariah about it. And Zachariah writes on a page says his name is John and as soon as he declared the destiny in this boy his mouth was opened again John was set apart from birth to make way prepare for the coming of Jesus that testimony is still in the church Jesus has come but he's still coming and God is equipping his bride to prepare a way for Jesus. Not just the second coming of Jesus, although that is very, very true, but the coming of Jesus by his spirit now. It's argued throughout history that before every revival or awakening was a season and a call to prayer and repentance. God was posturing his people. He was softening their hearts for what he wants to do next because next might offend what was before. And if we're so tight and grabbing hold on what was before, it becomes an idol in the face of Jesus, and we struggle with whether or not we should follow him or follow what we are married to and love. Repentance. This is the call. This is the witness. John prepared a people 
to recognize what God was doing next before it came. How many of us want to know what God is doing next in our life? Yeah. You know what he's doing next? Jesus. But he's also doing Jesus now. So if you want to be in tune with what he's doing next, get in tune with Jesus. And you'll be able to readily see what the Spirit is on next. It's about preparing our hearts now for what he wants to do next, not knowing what's coming next. He's literally just preparing our hearts for him. So that when he shows up, we know it. Did you know that Jesus shows up in your life every day? And how many of us recognize where he is? And we can stop all the busyness and just declare, behold, the Lamb of God. There he is. Every day. I don't want to be an expert on what God was doing. I want to be an expert on what God is doing. And it's not complicated what God is doing. It's Jesus. But this is about us being trained in his presence to recognize what the spirit of Jesus is doing. I'm convinced that as a church, we're not just putting on a call of repentance. We're living in repentance. We're doing our best to say, God, we want to be married to a model or a way or an institution or a structure. We want to be married to you so that whatever you're doing, we're going to be found in you. When God's voice shakes the earth, everything that is not of kingdom is going to fall away. Have you felt like things have been shaking for the past two years? So if we're smart, we're going to say we're going to let go of those things that are shaking and we're going to place our hands on Jesus. There's a purification that is happening in his church. And if we're so tightly gripped onto what we loved about the church that is outside of Jesus, we're going to find ourselves in a world of hurt, in a world of pain, in a world of sorrow. Because the thing that we've grabbed hold of is shaking. And because we've grabbed hold of that, our lives will start shaking. But Jesus is the unshakable rock. And when we place our hope and our trust in him, you will not be stricken. You will not shake. I've been contemplating lately this old idea of the 10,000-hour rule. Remember this from Malcolm Gladwell? I don't think he came up with it, but he wrote about it in his book, Outliers. And it's this idea that it takes roughly 10,000 hours to become an expert on anything. Neurosurgeon, 10,000 hours. Basketball player, 10,000 hours. Mom or dad, <laughs> 10,000 hours. At least, yeah. Exceptions to that rule, huh? <laughs> what if we understood that to be true about the presence of God? We become experts on the presence of God. Experts on the movement of the Spirit, not just because we've just been gifted as children, but because we've set our heart to seek Him, and in seeking Him, we will find Him when we seek Him with all of our hearts. That we can become experts on what the Spirit is doing. 
So whatever the Spirit is doing, his church will be found there declaring, behold, the Lamb of God. Drop everything and follow him. This is the witness of the church that God is restoring. This is why worship and worship culture is so important. This is why it's at the forefront of what we're doing as a church. Because in worship, we're inviting the presence of God and we're being trained in the presence of God to recognize his nature and his person so that when we go out of this place or go out of your prayer closet at home, you understand, oh, this is his nature and this is what he's doing. I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. We are called to be a people prepared in his presence to bear witness with our lips and with our lives. Amens to that. Can I get an amen? amen? Revelation 12, 11, famous passage of scripture. Listen to this. It says, they triumphed over him, the beast, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, which is the exact same word in the Greek as witness. They triumphed over the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their witness. But then we miss this next part. It says this, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. What if self-preservation and the preservation of power have characterized the church? What if we've been caught building our own empires rather than the participation in the establishment of his kingdom? What if we've made this about us more than we've made it about him? Guess what? We have to say we. We can't point the finger. They themselves, the witnesses, wore sackcloths. They said, we, we. When Nehemiah saw the walls of Jerusalem broken down, he repented on behalf of his nation. He wasn't even there. Daniel, he saw the state of God's promise and his people. He fasted and prayed in repentance. And God heard him and he responded. We have to say we. We cannot point the finger in indictment and say that church or that movement or those people got it wrong and we got it right. No, it's we. Our witness is a witness of repentance, a contrition, a softness of heart. To say that this isn't about building our lives, it's about proclaiming his life. He is the goal. Not building an empire or taking over the world. He is the goal. I don't want to say this till after I preach, but it's my 34th birthday today. (laughs) 
You know how many times I said Jesus' name today and you didn't clap that loud? <laughs> Love you guys too. This is the day I was born. And in contemplating the day I was born, I feel like God's revealed to me what I was born for. And I don't think there's anything more important. I'll put this on my life, and I pray that you put it on yours too. But I don't think there's anything more important in my life than to declare, behold, the Lamb. I asked for a present today, and I asked for his presence to be here. I feel like this man in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, having to reject what was before, desperately trying to grab hold of what he's doing now so that we could be the ones declaring what he's doing tomorrow. And what that looks like is saying my life is set apart not to be distracted by this, 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 and this. My life is set apart to be distracted for when he moves. The greatest thing I could have in my life is to stop a service like this and say, guys, stop, stop, stop. Look, behold the Lamb of God. God's restoring the witness of his church. But it's coming, characterized as repentance. When we sing songs like nothing else, I don't want anything else except for you. All that I have to give is a hallelujah. Did you know those are songs of repentance? Why? Because right before we said those words, we declared something else with our lives. But when I come to sing, I, I realize that I want to leave those things behind so I can grab hold of your presence. But the thing is, is that we can't just be trained when the music is on. Because the music's only on and as anointed as this every Sunday morning. But there's a song that you've been called to sing with your life. And it's the song of the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. The one who takes away the sin of the world. There he is. Let's focus on him. This is what he's doing. They did not love their lives. Even to shrink back from death. They declared with their lives that it wasn't about self-preservation or what God even could give them. It was about what they could give God and it was the witness by the Holy Spirit that he is who he says he is. Could it be that God is restoring the story that your lips tell? The words that come out of your life about who he is. Two witnesses, they prophesied for three and a half years. 
wearing sackcloth. You know what it says after that? That those witnesses were killed. Symbolically, they were killed. And then in Revelation 11, you have all these metaphors that are kind of pointing back to Old Testament realities in Zechariah, Moses, Elijah, Ezekiel. And this one glimpse that we get in Revelation 11 is a harken back to Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, where the enemy came and killed these two witnesses, but then we see something happening. This body, this, this army that is dead and dry and without life. God tells Ezekiel to prophesy life to these bones and he hears a rattle. These bones start to come together, ligaments, sinews, tendons. These bodies start to come up. This army is revealed. They stand up. And then Ezekiel prophesies the breath of God, the spirit of God, the Ruach of God into this body who was dead and broken and gone and they raised up as the army of God to become the destiny that God had placed in them. Revelation 11 says that this is going to happen. That it will look like the church is defeated. But through repentance and the proclamation of Jesus, life will come up in again by the Holy Spirit. And the church will finish and proclaim and do what it's been called to do. The destiny of the church will come alive by the testimony of Jesus. Could your life be set apart like John's to that end? That you're searching out what you've been born for when you've just been born for is to declare the goodness of God. The testimony of Jesus. That life will come back into the body of Christ. The spirit will move again. The voice of God will thunder. Signs, wonders, miracles will come as all the witnesses come. And maybe the one that's missing is the witness of John. The one that comes clothed in repentance. That is saying it's not about them, it's about us. That we, God, are the ones called to proclaim repentance, live in repentance. It's not about what I thought it is. It's about what you think it is. And if I have to let go of what I think it is to grab a hold of what you want it to be, then so be it. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.